Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist, and I'm on a mission to find food truth and connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture. And I am just delighted today to have with us a journalist, Jonathan Bloom. He is based in North Carolina, but he wrote a book that affects all of us. He's actually in the process of having it come out. It will be out in, in the fall. And it's about wasted food, something that we don't talk nearly enough about. Jonathan, welcome. Oh, thanks. Great to be here. Well, I heard you speak at the American Dietetic Association in Denver last fall, and I thought, oh, I've got to have you on the show. We hear so much talk about there's going to be so many more billion people on the planet. We have to produce more food. And then I heard you talk about how much food is wasted And I thought, wait a second, we're not hearing that side of the story. Maybe if we wasted less, we wouldn't have to produce so much more. Yeah, that's the the sad truth of it is is that there is all this good stuff that is being thrown out. And uh, if if we were to to save half of it, we'd be able to feed all the hungry Americans. So uh, it's it's certainly an eye-opening topic from my point of view. What I'm trying to do is is just get everyone to, to think about it a bit and to put the topic in front of people's face and and really just put it on their minds. Well, I asked you a couple of times, actually, how you first became interested in food waste. So why don't you tell us? It's a great story. Sure. Well, I had I grew up in a family that certainly saved all their leftovers and took home food from restaurants, as I'm sure many of your listeners do uh-huh. and did. So, so I had that background of really appreciating food and not only appreciating it but enjoying it as as an eater. And I started writing about food as an independent journalist and did that for a bunch of years. And I became a little more environmentally inclined. And I started to, to think about all those issues. And the eye-opening experience really that, that brought the two worlds together was a day of volunteering at D.C. Central Kitchen which is a food recovery group in our nation's capital. And there's all this great stuff, racks of ribs and and lamb and and foods you wouldn't expect to find in a a quote-unquote soup kitchen operation. But but they're just recovering all these things that were otherwise going to be thrown away. And so I started thinking, and, uh, you know, the light bulb went off in my head, and I thought, well, what happens in places of our country where they don't have these food recovery groups? And, you know, the answer, as you might imagine, is is that it ends up in the dumpster. Mm-hmm. Along with all the natural resources that went into producing that food. So all the water, all the fossil fuel energy. You know, when we think about food waste, we don't really look at the whole cost, do we? No, no, we don't. I mean, a lot of people might might think about what it costs their their personal budget, how much of their household spending goes to food that's been thrown out. But I, I found that, that seldom do we recognize all the, the natural resources that are squandered and also the human resources, you know, just the, the time of of people producing that food from, from seed to to your plate, including yourself, you know, the time that you've spent cooking that food. So uh, it, it just doesn't make sense on a lot of levels to, 
to throw that food out. Well, I'm sure you've looked at different figures, and I was recently investigating this topic myself, and the latest, the latest numbers I have shows that U.S. per capita food waste has progressively increased by approximately 50% since 1974 to 1,400 calories wasted per person per day. And that was, um, the researcher was Hall, and it, the title was The Progressive Increase of Food Waste in America and Its Environmental Impact. What figures do you have on food waste? Yeah, well, that's actually the latest, and, and that's a, a real, that's Kevin Hall's study, and he's, he's a guy I've come to know. He's, he's actually an obesity researcher, and he sort of got put onto the topic of waste just from a, a caloric standpoint, so all the calories that aren't consumed. But that, the, the idea that an obesity researcher is the person who has the most up-to-date info and data on food waste, is, it sort of supports my point that we really need to, to put more emphasis on studying the problem. Um, and not that, that Kevin hasn't done a great job, uh, which he certainly has, but, but it's something that the USDA, I think, really needs to look at, tracking food waste from, from field to fork and, and just get a real... Uh, whole chain perspective on the topic because right. you can't really make changes without knowing how significant the problem is. Right. I had a conversation with um, an economic research specialist at USDA, and she said, really, there hasn't been a whole lot of study on this. I, I guess years ago there was a report that came out under Glickman at the time. He really promoted gleaning. And since then, there really hasn't been a whole lot of attention, although she has documented what she's witnessed is an increased interest in it, which I'm very happy to say is that's a good thing. Yeah, no, it's a great thing. And, you know, just the fact that we're talking today about the, the topic shows that, that there is uh, an increase in, in interest in food waste and, and keeping track of it. But yeah, as you mentioned, uh, Dan Glickman, who was the Secretary of Agriculture, I mean, he certainly had a soft spot in his heart for food recovery. And he, you know, he made some stuff happen under the Clinton administration, and that has faded as, uh, as we rolled into the 2000s. But, you know, based on that uptick in interest, I, I'm hoping and I'm hopeful that, that we'll be able to, to have the, the federal apparatus pay more attention to the topic. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we waste so much food? I mean, honestly, I, I think the main reason is that we're just not thinking about how much we waste. Mm-hmm. And it's not something that, that really crosses our mind uh, as we're hurrying through our, our busy lives and we have all these commitments and, and the fast-paced life. You know, I, I think that we've gotten away from home cooking on a large scale, and and sort of a follow-on to that is is that we we aren't necessarily mindful of the food that we eat, and as a result, we end up throwing away a fair amount. Mm-hmm. So just to give you a, a real-life example of what that might look like, I mean, you're in the supermarket, you might have a sense that you want to cook, you purchase a bunch of fresh foods, and then you get into your work week, and, and you find that you just don't have the time, and, and so you end up and take out or ordering a pizza and, and those fresh foods sit in your refrigerator and, and by the time you get to them, they're 
not in the shape that you would hope they'd be in. Mm-hmm. I also read some work from Brian Wansink, who's, I believe he's based at Cornell. I know he's done some work in D.C., but he said when people buy food for a specific recipe and then they don't make it, they really don't have an alternative use or an idea of how they're going to use that ingredient, and so that goes into the food waste as well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I call those things recipe one-timers. Exactly. That's a great yeah, name. Things, these random things that you end up buying. I mean, just from my personal life, my wife actually just bought some almond extract, and we were both kind of looking at it and thinking, you know what, we're, we probably aren't going to use this. And we realized we had almonds, so why don't we just use that instead? Um, right. So we, we brought it back. But um, but certainly, yeah, anytime we sort of go outside of the norm of our, our day-to-day food purchases, uh, those things are, are more likely to be thrown away or become what Bill Rathjay calls cabinet castaways. So, Tell me uh, about... That we, yeah, they end up getting left for not... Yes. Bill Rathjay is an interesting researcher. Tell me about him. Yeah, well, he certainly... Uh, fascinating guy. He was in Arizona, at the University of Arizona, and he started the Garbage Project, which basically uh, looked at all aspects of our garbage. Key to my interest is, is the food waste part of it. But, um, but yeah, he got undergraduates who, whom he dubbed garbologists to basically dig through people's trash. And they, people were made aware of this. <laughs> there were there were studies that happened uh, that they were certainly aware of. But, uh, yeah, he, he found some, some fascinating things. He told me that household waste, basically 15% of, of all the food that came into people's homes didn't get eaten. And then that is, yes, obviously that's uh, a hard item that you can count. But then he also was talking about food disposals or, or you know, garbage disposals in the sink. And that would not show up in the waste. So then he added on about 10%. So in total, he estimated about a quarter of the food that we brought into our homes didn't get eaten. Interesting. Do you think that the price of food has anything to do with why we throw so much of it away? Most definitely. Um, Our foods have become very inexpensive, historically speaking. Uh, We end up spending about 10% our household income on food, which is a historic low. So um, I, mean, I would point a finger at the, the commodity prices and you know, the government chipping in to make those prices cheaper than they actually are or should be, and that has a knock-on effect on, on most of the foods that we eat. So certainly when you look at the psychology of, of shopping and, and home economics, I mean, if you paid a real nice price for anything, you're you're going to treat it better. I think there's some psychology at play. Yeah, I agree with you. And, you know, one of the things that you had mentioned at the Dietetic Association meeting was how expiration dates and sell-by dates really reinforce this notion of, oh, it's expired, throw it away. Oh, yeah. Well, expiration dates, yeah, I think they certainly create this false sense of, of confusion, um, and then also a little bit of panic, I would say, um, on householders' behalf. When we don't know if something's good, the the default is to 
to to then talk. And I think to certain I think to a certain extent that comes from our loss of knowledge on on food and how to cook, how to store food. In years past, we would we would know when something went bad, and we would trust our senses. And there weren't dates on all of our foods, and half of them probably weren't packaged. Um, and you know, if you go back far enough, none of them were were packaged, and none of them had a date on it. Right. So I, I think that tells a story there. Yeah, you can read into that what you want. No, I agree with you. We are having a conversation about food waste with journalist Jonathan Bloom, and his book on wasted food is due out this fall. But the topic is so interesting that I had to have him in before the book actually came out. I heard Jonathan speak at the American Dietetic Association meeting back last fall in Denver and found his presentation to be one of the best and most interesting. You know, you had mentioned how you came from a family where you saved all your leftovers, and I, too, grew up yeah. with that kind of background. And yeah, I, I had th- a hunch you did. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, maybe because of my interest in the topic, right? But it sure. amazes me how many people don't save leftovers and throw them away, and I think there's really something sacrilegious about throwing food away for all the reasons that you mentioned, you know, in the first part of the show about the energy and the resources that go in it. But I think your experience working at the food recovery kitchen in Washington, D.C. really brings home another point, And that is, if we're not eating it, it could be going to feed someone else. And the Good Samaritan law really protects people against liability and that's something that they always bring up it's like well you know we don't want to we don't want to give it away because we're afraid of getting sued where did that come from well certainly some people are legitimately ignorant of the law they don't know that they're protected from liability by the good samaritan act i think others know about it and know that they wouldn't lose in a suit but they're afraid of negative publicity if they were to be sued mm for food that that wasn't uh, fit to be eaten. But, I mean, the main point I have here is is that I've spoken with experts in the food recovery world and elsewhere, and no one can think of such a lawsuit. You know, there hasn't been one. I can't imagine that there will be one. Uh, I just just can't see a soup kitchen suing a grocery store or a restaurant for for donating food that that they thought was, was healthy at the time. And, and that's really what the law says, is that if you donate food in good conscience that, that you deem to be fit to eat, then you're protected from liability. Have you ever gone out, like, to eat pizza, for example? This is a, I was in Chicago, and, you know, you go into the, those deep-dish pizza restaurants, and you think, oh, man, sure. this, this looks great. And you order the pizza, and you realize after two pieces you're totally full. And yeah. you see all the pizza that's left on the table, and there's this notion, in fact, I asked a waitress about this, that you couldn't give away something that had been, um, I mean, wouldn't have a bite out of it, but, you know, that had been maybe served on a table. Is that true? Yeah, that is. Uh, anything that's been served to people, actually put on a table, can't be reused. So, so that leads to what I call guerrilla giving, which is kind of going outside of the law. And, you know, guerrilla is in guerrilla warfare. Uh, people who will take it into their own hands to, to get food that they aren't going to eat to people who are in need. So, you know, there's, you know, it's kind of the old practice of 
taking leftovers from a restaurant and maybe finding a homeless person, offering it to them. Or just uh, in San Francisco, there's a, a movement where uh, people will actually just leave it on top of trash cans. And that's been promoted by a website, trying to get people to, to do that rather than just leave it in the restaurant and they have to throw it out. But an interesting uh, little side note to that rule about, about things put on a table I mean, it really applies to everything, including the packages of butter that are wrapped, the you know the non-dairy creamers that they put on your table. So it it's obviously done for food safety reasons, and there there are good reasons for it, but it gets a bit extreme. It does. You know, I was at a dietetic association meeting actually, and there are a lot of sponsors for our meals. So. We had more food than I have ever seen served at a breakfast. And I couldn't believe that the food was going to be trash, so I did some gorilla giving. I didn't know what it was called at the time. And I just asked for a couple of takeout boxes, and I distributed it to some people that, I mean, there were homeless people all over the place in Washington, D.C. And I, you know, I, I gave it to some people who were very appreciative. And I thought, wow, you know, there was, now multiply that by the hundred tables that were in that room. There's just so much waste. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, one way to remedy the the, the problem of of excess food at conferences or events is to have staff serve the food. Because um, when it's a self serve buffet, then you can't donate anything. And the reason being, someone might have put the spoon from the peaches back in the cottage cheese or vice versa and um, possibilities of, of people sneezing or coughing on the food and that kind of thing. So if you have staff serve the food, then you can donate the rest of it. Okay, I want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. So we have a buffet food service, and not everything is consumed, even though there's a sneeze hood over that food. That food that's left over can't be given away? No, it can't. By by food safety rules, the uh, basically it's it's cross contamination fears. So so the idea of of serving spoons going into the wrong things and you know who knows what people have done with it because it's not under the watchful eye of people serving it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a sad little uh, footnote of the of the food safety laws. Right. Well, what else has shocked you since you've been writing your book? Oh, goodness. Well, I've been really surprised just by the the sheer amount of of food that doesn't get eaten. So, you know, the idea that we could have a study come out that says we we don't eat 40% of of all the food in this country and and not really just not have that garner as much attention as I thought it would. Uh, Right. I mean, it's it's really staggering to me and i think that that more people would be surprised but the reaction that i've seen from many people is is that they have this hunch that that we throw out so much food but they don't really have any idea and then when it's confirmed they they think to themselves oh okay sure you know that i've seen so much waste at restaurants and, and i've always wondered what happens at supermarkets so yeah just the pervasiveness of waste is is really what has opened my eyes the most. Mm-hmm. You know, when you were presenting at the at the Dietetic Association meeting, you were there on a panel with two other presenters, both of whom are friends of mine. And 
One of them had worked at the Virginia Tech campus and was absolutely appalled, also grew up in a home similar to ours where we don't waste yeah. food. And and when he worked to change that, that system, um, and his situation, of course, is one where you have a, an all-you-can-eat situation with trays. Yep. And by, by eliminating the trays, they were able to reduce waste significantly. It's, you know, those trays sort of enable us to take more. Yeah, I know. Yeah, they look, they look so innocent and, uh, and they can be so fun when it snows. Exactly. Yeah. But it seems that that's probably the best use for them because, yeah, as you mentioned, in all you can eat settings, they, they just encourage us to pile food on and, and not really think about what we're taking. Right. And, you know, everyone gets back to the table and, and they, you know, they find that their eyes are, are a lot bigger than their stomach. Right. You know, there's a restaurant in Montreal. It's called Le Commensal. And it's a fabulous restaurant. It's, um, I believe it's vegetarian, totally vegetarian. But it's just the food is, much of it is organic and fresh and local. And they have a deal where you do get a tray, but you pay by the weight of your plate. Yeah. And sure. I think that is the way to go. Yeah, that that certainly would get people to to think about it. And you know, getting back to your earlier question about whether people waste more because food is inexpensive, I mean, I think if you're paying by the pounds, you're certainly going to buy that food with much more care, and and you're going to treat it with more care when you're done and try and take stuff home. Well, and also, let me tell you, it it absolutely has you rethinking whether or not you're going to go back and get seconds. Sure. Because I've actually heard of some restaurants that have a, a penalty, some all-you-can-eat places that, that charge a fee if you have uneaten food on your plate uh, at the end of a meal. Oh, I love now, that idea. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. And now that gets into some, some issues with the obesity crisis, but um, I think if, if the end result is getting people to just be more thoughtful about the food they take and it reduces waste, then... Um, that's a positive in my book. Yeah, the other person on the panel is a friend of mine, Barbara Hartman, who works at a hospital. She's in charge of their food service there. And what she found was that the employees didn't like wasting either. And it was a real unifying opportunity to bring her food service workers together and be proud of the fact that they were wasting less food. And I believe she also started not only giving food away to Nonprofit community groups that needed food donated, but she also started a compost program. Oh, great! Yeah, yeah, that's just that's great work there. I mean, no one likes throwing away food, it, and I imagine it's quite demoralizing if you're a food service worker and, and every day you're, you're having to throw away pounds of, and pounds of food. So uh, I've spoken with a bunch of farmers who who say the same thing. You know, they don't want to plow under a field of of crops, but there's no market for it, then they're not going to invest the time and energy to harvest it. So, so yeah, getting people to, to donate it, and if they're not going to do that, to compost it, those would certainly be uh, wise uses for the food. Well, have you seen an increase in gleaning efforts where people come to the farm and they, they harvest the food so the farmer doesn't have to do it, but at the same time it's not going to waste? I can't say that I've seen an increase in the gleaning, but I hope that there will be. Uh, I'm actually going to be 
doing some work here and, and trying to lead some groups to, to get out there in the field. It's a great activity. It's, it's a nice way to interact with, with your food to sort of see where it comes from and, and also do some good in the process. I should say it's not the most efficient way of recovering food. You know, there are truckloads of, of goods that, that aren't being used that, that can be recovered. So, you know, a lot of food recovery groups have to kind of walk this line where gleaning is a great activity for building awareness and, and just getting more people thinking about the topic. But in terms of overall poundage, and, and there's certainly so many people hungry, you know, they, they have that increased clientele that they have to keep in mind. So they're trying to pursue both at one time. Well, Jonathan, our time has come to a close, but I want to give you an opportunity to leave our listeners with a charge. A charge. Well, here's here's your charge, dear listener. I want you to go home, and for the next week, I'd like you to think about food waste and really make a mental note or even jot down on a piece of paper, a good old piece of paper, how much food you throw out in a week. And I think you'll be you'll be shocked. Wow. Or at least surprised by, by how much stuff you, you aren't using. That is a great exercise in personal awareness. Thank you for that. I want to thank you, uh, listeners, for tuning in, as well as thank our guest, Jonathan Bloom, who will be the author of a new book coming out this fall called Wasted Food. That is still the title. Is that right? Uh, it's actually called American Wasteland. American Wasteland. I'm glad you corrected me. Um, no problem. But your, but your website is? My website is wastedfood.com. Okay. So we can hopefully continue the conversation there. Wonderful. And it's a fantastic website, I might add. So this fall, look for American Wasteland, the book by Jonathan Bloom. In the meantime, go to the website and be fascinated with food waste, and that's www.wastedfood.com. Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us. And it's been my pleasure. Well, and listeners, thank you for tuning in. Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri.